Hey, yo, what the f***? This is a palace right here. The late night flight is paid for by the following. Hello. I have three questions for you. When you're talking NBA with your white co-workers, do you say that Dallas Mavericks point guard Luka Doncic is the best player in the NBA to position yourself as non-threatening in the office? And when black people think that you talk like a white person, do you reply, hey, hey, you would too if you graduated from an HBCU. Are you Rachel Dozer? If you do or are any one of these three, then you are suffering from the contribution of white privilege. Hi, my name is Nassour Nuru, and if you are looking to go from Wayne Newton to Wayne Brady, please give us a call at 1-800-HELL-NO-CAMS. That's 1-800-HELL-NO-CAMS. Give us a call now before you turn into TV. Everybody on a Martin, everybody marching for a young nigga like me to get tsunami on it. I'ma get it, I'ma win a baby. I'll be on my curry till I crash a bird in 40 on the Yeah, I'm acting nerdy if it's at the appellation to the appellation. I'ma do whatever that they take to make a black nation. Hold on. Let's just start with that. Everybody want to know about that. First of all, I did not know until this morning. For those who don't know, we uh, we we record on Sundays sometimes, so this is a Sunday, and I did not know until this morning there is a thing called a Nate Robinson challenge. So you just got people laid out on the floor. <laughs> you got people laid out on the floor. I guess uh, pretending to be their best Nate Robinson, which is. Slightly rude, yet funny as hell. I mean, he walked right into that bolo. Did he not, though? Yeah, I was watching that, and I'm like, yo, this is, he's taking an L for the Knicks. You know what I'm saying? You know, we know he retired and he don't play ball anymore. I'm like, this the, the Knicks got to hold this up. Then, you know, before the fight, he made this whole declaration, like, yo, I'm doing this for my brothers in the NBA. I'm doing this for, for you know, my kids. And he, he made it seem like, you know, he was really going to be passionate about it. And then when he started fighting, like, he just, he, he lost all of the training and just started running towards dude and not protecting himself. So you know? Nate Robinson did what we call the club fight. It's the club stance. When you in the club and you in VIP and somebody is staring at your girl, staring at your woman, you ain't feeling that. And, you know, y'all lock eyes because he don't like you and you don't like what he doing. And then, boom, bottles start throwing. And what you do is lean in. And if you right-handed, that means your right fist is just out and you shuffling your feet, but you got the <laughs> you got the hand in front of you. And I don't know whether that's, you know, if you're trying to jab somebody like that or you're just protecting your face because you're not going to get a clean punch with your hand already, you know, full out extended, but whatever. That that didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So when he went to sleep, <laughs> like if you watch, right? If you go back and watch the, the 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 knockdown, right? So he got knocked down before the official knockdown. Yeah. The ref, the ref slow counted though. Like Nate was done on the first knockdown when he counted and then he stopped at the nine. And then let Nate get up and get himself together. Like, all right, you cool? All right, boom. So then when he gets really knocked out and he's sleep on his face, I'm watching the aftermath 
And it was at one point where he curved into the fetal position and was kind of like, like telling them like, nah, I'm going to just stay right here. Like, I'm going to just sleep right here. And they're like, nah, you got to get up because Tyson and got to come out and fight. But he was, he, he had got, <laughs> he got mad comfortable on that, on that ground. They couldn't even give him his participation medal like they gave everybody else on that show. Like, they had to just roll him out. Like, yo, you got to get out of here. Like, I can't believe you just did this to yourself. Get out. Hurry up. We got Snoop Dogg coming in five minutes. Snoop Dogg performance, in my opinion, hands down, was the best performance, though. Even though YG was a very close second, though. Very close first second. Like, he could have said... My man said that YG's performance was the best. He didn't want to put Snoop Dogg in it because he was a legend. I said, listen... Whoever performs is whoever performs. And Snoop Dogg, that shit was fire. But YG, YG joint, said YG joint. YG setup was fire too, though. That that red background. Right. Oh right. man, that was fire. That was dope. I don't know who this St. John dude is. I heard he's from New York. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't like the hula hooping jar and style of like the new trap rapper. Like, yo, don't get me wrong. I'm cool with you dancing when you. I guess you call it rapping or you sing rapping, whatever French Montana was doing, because he couldn't hold his note either. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that later, too. But my man, St. John, I don't get it. Like, my man was just he was straight. Listen, I don't mean to say it like this, but he was shaking ass and he definitely looked like (laughs) I don't mean to say this, but it's the late night flight. He looked like a feminine bottom. What, what what I didn't like that. Like <laughs> wasn't it, uh, wasn't into it. <laughs> but I don't, I mean I guess that's just these young young dude styles because in his um he rolling out an album and basically his rollout last week was him performing every track on his album in a strip club with a different um stripper kind of dancing to each song and getting a bunch of money thrown at him. I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, if you had an hour and 15 minutes to sit and watch a stripper on YouTube uh, while listening to some good, what is it like? Hip hop slash R&B music. Okay. Um, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have called him that. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not sorry for saying it. I said he looked like one. I'm not saying he is one. I'm just saying, you know, if you're going to wear, you know, a long white tee, a long skinny white tee, tight leather black pants, a pink jean jacket that say St. John in the back. You can't say that I can't speculate if you're a feminine bottom or not. I'm, that's all I'm saying. You can't, you can't, you know. And you look like young thug's dirty young cousin. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying. You, you can let me speculate on that. Uh, let me see. I like, not that I like the, the fight before Nate Robinson's fight, but the... I forgot his name. Badu Jack? Jack Badu? We was making fun of his name. We thought Jack Badu was a way better name than Badu Jack. Badu Jack do sound Zulu American, though, which I like, but Jack Badu is a much better name. What you think? Um, yeah. Sure. <laughs> he said sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a pretty decent fight, too. You know what I'm saying? It went the distance, but, you know, they, they, was, they was really fighting. And then, you know, the funny thing about this whole fight, right, leading up to where everybody was like, oh, they put out, like, these memes and they tried to make it look official. Oh, it's, a, it's an exhibition fight, so there's no knockouts. Mike and Roy agreed that nobody was going to knock each other out. Right. Um, 
that, you know, there was never going to be a winner announced and it was just going to be like this sparring match of sorts. Now, technically, they had to call it a sparring match because it's not sanctioned by whatever boxing official there is. But they, they was, Mike was trying to knock him out. Mike was trying to knock Roy Jones out. Um, Roy Jones was trying not to get knocked out. And, you know, it was an official fight, you know, for what it was. And the other, other bouts were the same, where two of them ended in a KO. You seen the, the where old boy got hit with the body shot and he was done up? Yeah, he was done up. That was seventh round. That was the first, that was the first undercard. First fight, right. Um, and then Nate Robinson got sticky fingered. He got sticky fingered. That was Sticky Fingers 2020 right there. I don't know if y'all remember that. You kids may not remember that, but Sticky Fingers was regarded in the time. Now, I wouldn't call him the most gangster, but just most grimy, most slimy rapper because he was part of a group that was just, you know, Onyx was, you know, their first album was called Back the F*** Up. Their first song was called Throw Your Guns in the Air. This is what they do. And my man just got creamed. By his brother, by this white... Well, it's not the fact that he a white dude, but the white dude wasn't a fighter either. And he just got clocked and it messed up his career for the rest of his life. As far as his rap career goes, no one, you know, took him seriously as a credible, you know, street rap artist, you know? That's sad. So I wonder, do you think that's going to happen with Nate Robinson where, you know, he because he said he want to come back and still box or do MMA, would you say like, hey, Nate, don't do that? No, I feel like, I'm, you know, he's an athletic person, so he can definitely survive in that arena. But what he has to do is he has to take his training seriously mm-hmm. and he has to stick to his training. You know what I'm saying? I feel like once he, he threw all of that out the window and tried to go in as a, a street fighter or whatever style he was trying to use. And, you know, he, he, he left himself vulnerable to have what happened. Yeah, man, that was sad. That was sad. But yeah, but let's, you know, let's go to the main event. I mean, we already talked about it real fast. Well, at least you did. You know what I mean? And I, I like what you said about it. Um, first of all, and I, and I, even though we're talking about the main event, just want to say the the background, like the entrance, like how people like walk, you know, down the ramp, whatever. I don't know, it's not a ramp, but down the walkway, I guess you want to say with the back, you know, with the two big, uh, LSD screens, LSD screens, um, <laughs> LCD screens in the back. I like that look. You didn't like that look? I love that look. Yeah, I like the whole look. I like the whole look about, you know, this, this event. And, and like I was trying to mention earlier, um, this could be, especially with the pandemic going on, a new wave on how we view boxing or any other entertainment for that matter. Like when you add hip, that hip hop element and, you know, you start to see, uh, like I said, you get a little mini concert in between each, like that's, that's multifaceted entertainment. And it's something that like, all right, I might, I might pay for that and have a little get together in my living room where, you know, I invite a few people over and we, we chill out and, and watch this joint. All right. So real fast, let's just go through the fight real fast. So, it went, excuse me, y'all. It, it lasted eight rounds. I think it was, yo, I think it was better than pretty good fighting from two 50-year-old men. I mean, I think they held their own. I like uh Roy Jones definitely gave you y'all must have forgot type of feel. Them little crazy 
uh, jabs that he was trying to put. He did a jab with a side step because he ain't want no sauce with them body shots. He ain't want none of that. Uh, Mike Tyson, he yo, to be honest with you, he looked like a 50-year-old version of the, of the 1980s version of Mike Tyson. You know what I mean? So that's a that's a tribute to him and his workout plan right now. He looks, I ain't gonna say he looks incredible, but he looked like the 50-year-old dude from South Orange Avenue that's always jogging. Like, you don't want no sauce with him. Yeah. No type of sauce with him. But more importantly, I think the, the biggest winner out of everybody is a streaming app, a social media app called Thriller. Now, Thriller is known as this American video-making social networking service that's owned by a media company called Proxemia, all right? Now, it allows users to automatically edit and synchronize their videos to background tracks using artificial intelligence, unlike TikTok that will let you do it on your own. So this is basically a poor man's TikTok, supposedly. They do, they do boast to have 186 million subscribers, which is crazy because I never even heard Thriller until this boxing match. What about you, honey? This is the first time you ever heard this? Yes or no on that? But yes, this is the first time I heard of it. Yeah, 186 million subscribers. Two of us never heard of this. This is crazy. But anyway, so Thriller is this app where, you know, you basically can do, you know, social media videos and you can use your favorite rap artists or hip-hop artists or, you know, pop artists, whatever kind of music you like, you can use their favorite music to basically, uh, you know, use it in the background to do, your, to do your thing, to do your film. So who owns this or who's, who's invested in this? Try a Lil Wayne. Try a Snoop Dogg, for instance. That's why you heard a lot of Snoop Dogg in yesterday's, uh, in yesterday's commentary, in yesterday's presentation, period. And I got to say, I just got to say, Snoop Dogg deserves like a lot of different jobs. He sh he should be the rapper. He should definitely be your like he should be your entertainment. He could be your host. He could be your commentator. Yo, Snoop Dogg was the most entertaining person yesterday besides Mike Tyson. Which what, what what say you on that? Definitely, like Snoop's commentary of the fight. It's like it's Snoop is saying the that we saying in our living rooms. Yeah, yeah. You know so you like, oh yeah, I can feel this and I can vibe with this because when you watch a regular bout, you know you got the commentators. Even even when Roy Jones is on the sideline commentating, or you have former boxers on the sideline, they're keeping it very professional and technical with with their opinion. But Snoop was mad emotional, like yo, these both like oh, it's like my two uncles fighting. <laughs> they fight again in the backyard. Like, he, he was keeping it funky. Like, so I really appreciated how Snoop gave it up on that. I don't know who the other, not the other, but I'm saying the other boxer because, or or MMA fighter, because I know Sugar Ray Leonard, but the, the other dude who was a black American, I don't know if he was a black American, but he was a black brother. Right. He kept saying, it's levels to this the whole way through. <laughs> he was just like, yo, you don't understand, uh, Ronaldo, whatever his name is, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, got his name. He actually worked. He used to work for WWE as a commentator. He actually does a really good job. I shouldn't disrespect this man's name like that. But he was talking to him, and he was just he, that was his answer to everything. Why don't you let me know what you think about Mike Tyson, man? Listen, man, it's levels to this. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, all right. But but you know what? It felt casual. It felt real. It felt leisure. You know what I mean? Like you said, Snoop Dogg made you feel like he pulled up a seat in your couch. You know what I'm saying? Ate your Tostitos and went over the fight with you. 
I like that move. I really don't get me wrong. I don't mind you teaching me, you know, but you know, as long as it's a Bernard Hopkins or a Sugar Ray Leonard, somebody that, you know, went through that storm. And now a segment where we prank call America's essential workers in a segment we call Protivities. Leave. Then leave. Get that bread, get that head, then leave. Peace out. I'm sorry, but the person you called has a voice mailbox that has not been set up yet. Never want to answer though. What is that? How are they going to get this money? How are they going to get this money if they don't answer the phone? Oh, somebody calling me back. We got, we got somebody calling me back. Somebody calling me back. Yeah, hello, what's up? You called? Yeah, I called. This, this, the, this the drop of chocolate? Yes. Oh, what's good? How you? How you? Fine, are you? I'm good. Can't complain. I'm over here thinking about getting some, uh, some chocolate dropped on me. Wait. Hey, did that one sound right? You know what did I'm talking about. Did you want to call? Oh, I'm embarrassed. I don't believe I just said that out loud. That that's not a fetish. That's not what I want. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Uh, in call? Yeah, I, I'll take an in call. You're not the police, are you? What? No, no. Please, I'm I'm too okay. funny to be the police. Enhance. Okay, I'm in Manhattan. You you in New York? Yes. I'm. I mean, I'm in Jersey, but I drive, so it's, that's not a problem. Okay. Um. A quick visit is 80, a half hour is 140, and an hour is 180. 180? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, all right, I, I do 180. I'll do 180 for, for, it's an hour, you said, right? Yeah. So, all right. I give you two. You'll even give me two hours? No, probably. We'll two. That hour. You say you give me two condoms? Two pops. Oh, two pops. Wait, what's a pop? Oh, oh, I get you. I got you. I got you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm like two fathers. What the hell I want that for? <laughs> but anyway. Okay. All right. So I just got to, all right. I got two quick questions because all this sounds good. I'm cool with uh-huh. that. You, like you in, okay. you in Manhattan? Yeah. All right. Cool. I, I, that's easy. Fine. Cool. All right. And okay. So here goes my thing. You want 184 hour? Fine. I'll give you 200 for an hour, but I want my Oh, see. See, you're gonna have to find somebody that's into that because I don't look butt. That's that. You don't do that? Hell no. But it's but it's for two hundred. <laughs> hey yo, what the fuck? This is a pally right here. Who are the real kings of comedy? Is it Kevin Hart? Have you heard his last special? According to some people, some people would say no because that last special sucked. Or is it Dave Chappelle? Because you know he getting Netflix to do gangster. Sh- him because you know he's just a gangster motherfucker. Let's say you, honey. So we are all familiar with um, the Kings of Comedy special, where you had the tour of um, comedians such as uh, D.L. Hoopy, uh, Steve Harvey, Cedric the Entertainer, and Bernie Mac. Most important comedy special ever in American comedy, in my opinion. But continue. Um, Most so- important. You know, in that, like, they they claim the title. And, and it's so, sort of like, you know, you claim it because nobody else is claiming it. What? But, that's not nice. Come on. That's not but nice. it's not necessarily a mandate or, you know, it, it, it's basically 
nobody else is trying to compete with you for that title. So you get to say that, hey, I'm the king of comedy. And I don't think that uh, those gentlemen, maybe with the exception of Bernie Mac, would be the the kings of comedy. Well, hold on, hold, hold on, hold on. One, one second. I, and I, I, I want you to keep going down the road of what you're saying. I, I only want to take up 30, 50 seconds. So real quick, that that movie or that comedy special, when America saw it, that came out in 2001. Mm-hmm. Tell me bl- any black, and I'm not saying that they are the kings, because remember, this is nothing but great marketing. This That's all it really is. It's just a marketing ploy. Kings of comedy. And don't get me wrong, we, we, you know, technically you can't say any of them are the king, but as far as, you know, like how we're going to get into our next subject about who's the king of the South as far as rap, there's kings all over. You know what I mean? There's kings and queens all over. Now, are any one of them the king? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I mean, again, I just want to ask you, at, in 2001, give me the black comedian that's sur- that is surpassing those four in the, in that in, in 2001. And I would say Chris Rock, but other than him. So I, the point I'm making is, is that in that, in that instance, right? Mm-hmm. There's nobody claiming the title. There's nobody claiming the throne. Right. There's not, there's not a, the people didn't, the people didn't deem them the Kings of comedy. They kind of took the name and ran with it. And then people was like, well, okay, since nobody else is challenging you, I guess you could be king. Or well, was it just a show? It, was it just a, you know, a name of a show when people came out to go see nah, it? Because you have four big names. About, okay, I'm sorry. No, nah, but we're talking about people standing in the industry and how they feel. Oh, okay. And they felt okay. like at the time, I'm sure that they felt like they were the best comedians in the game at that time. So it only made sense. But again, in a circa 2001, you got the, you got the Chappelle show. Is the Pell show came out 2004. So you had, all right, so you have Dave Chappelle who's out here putting out comedy specials that are still classics to this day. Well, like, when, when, when was Killing Them, when was Killing Them Softly? I'm about to look, I'm about to look at that right now. You, you keep talking. I'm going to find out what Killing Them Softly. Okay. Find out what year that came out. At any rate, Dave Chappelle was active and if Dave Chappelle is active, you don't get to exclude him from the Kings of Comedy at that point. Okay, you know but I mean? when when all four of them had TV specials, though, the four that was that was on Kings of Comedy, all four of them was on television. Not Dave Chappelle. Yeah, oh, okay, and, and this okay, this did come out in two thousand. For, for I want America to know that. So Hanif does so far. I I, I have to. I'm giving him this, but I will I will concede to Dave Chappelle as far as killing himself. He came out in two thousand. That was a classic. Dave Chappelle can have an argument about, you know, I don't know about being a king, but, you know, being in the conversation. Because, again, Dave Chappelle wasn't on the level of these four gentlemen at that time. That's all I'm saying about that. All right. So when we when we look at the Kings of Comedy special, right? Yes. You think about it. The only ones that hold up that are timeless was Cedric the Entertainer and Bernie Mac. You know what I'm saying? Steve Harvey and D.L. Hughley gave, you know, pretty average, you know, their, their sets were pretty average and then they don't age well. You know what I'm saying? So 
if we keep it a, a buck, like they got there by, and, and, and I guess if you want to just look at it in terms of, oh, they had shows at the time, but even with that, you know what I'm saying? The Steve Harvey show was dope. I'm not going to even front. I used to watch the Steve Harvey show. Uh, I used to watch the Bernie Mac show. I watched D.L. Hughley's show for whatever, but eh, I could do without it. I mean, out of all the TV shows, that that was probably the worst one. The D.L. Hughley show was probably the worst one. Um, but the Bernie you know, Mac show was good. If we looking at if we looking at it in the grand scheme of things, but the point mm-hmm. is, all right. So here we are. Fast forward to today, and yeah. who we might consider the kings of comedy, right? Dave Chappelle still in that conversation. You have Kevin Hart. Um, then you have what Chris Rock, because Chris Rock just re- released a special. Um, what other black comedian? Like, I feel like if Eddie Murphy decided to drop a stand-up, he would shut all of these. I mean, well, see, with, with Eddie Murphy, I mean, he's he's Richard Pryor, Red Fox. I mean, he he doesn't even need to be in this conversation. He's a god. He's a god. Like okay. that's a comedic god. All right. Um. So I guess to 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 get to the point is that you know in today's time. Right. Nobody's claiming they're the greatest. Right. But if we we talk about marquee act, Kevin Hart is one of the premier acts that if he puts out a special, it's going to, you know, get a bunch of hits and listens. And as a lot of people are saying, this last special that he did on Netflix, um, no, zero given or something like that. Yeah, that's what it was called. Was not funny. No, it wasn't. It was bad, actually. Um, I watched it. I got some laughs out of it, like one, um, you know, on parts that I can relate to when he's talking about like how men go out versus how women go out, uh, you know, the stuff that he was talking about with his daughter or whatever. But it wasn't, you know, you know, it wasn't um, laugh at my pain funny. Right. It wasn't that funny. Um, you know, but then now Kevin Hart's going around trying to, you know, do cleanup and, you know, make excuses or say, why he's making certain jokes and everybody's kind of giving him a pass. Like he's trying to be more marketable and mainstream because he's, I'm like, yo, I feel like at this point in Kevin Hart's career, this is when he should be trying to tap into, you know, being able to say whatever the hell he wants. You know what I'm saying? And not necessarily trying to play for a broader audience. Well, okay. How did Kevin Hart get on? He didn't get on by being that person. So I'm pretty sure Kevin Hart is basically going to continue to straddle a fence where he can basically be, he can, he can look lovable because, you know, he's short. So he, he, he comes off as cute and cuddly. He can't come off as threatening. So, so this is, and then we talk about this, right? And mm-hmm. what do you fear? Because we got to bring Steve Harvey back into that conversation about like when him and Monique had their back and forth about what people should be saying and not saying when it comes to uh, these white spaces and how they get their money. And he was basically telling Monique like, yo, you got to kind of shut up and just rent and bear it so that you can get your money. And she's like, nah, I want to do more than that. And then here we have the God himself, Dave Chappelle, who's like, F- that. If it's not real, if it's not right, if it don't make, if it don't sit well with my conscience, I'm not participating in well, it. Well, let's stop right there again. 
how did Dave Chappelle get on? Dave Chappelle was on because he was wrong. So again, this is how I got in the game, baby. I came in the game raw. So I'm going to leave the game raw. The other dude got hot when he started doing family jokes. So that's what he's going to continue to do. Everybody does what they call their bread and butter. And understand this with Dave Chappelle. Let's not forget that man wound up and had to take a hiatus. It ain't like he just got money every year after he left the Chappelle show. Okay. That man went through a tumultuous, uh, I'm sorry, he went through a terrible time. I'm going to stop using words that I can't pronounce sometimes. He went through a terrible time. Yeah, but think about it like this, right? So this is- No, what- I'm just saying, but okay, to me, you know, and I'll let you make your point. I'm just saying that he went through this time where he's not relevant, not making money, not, not the best comedian in the world because he's not even in that limelight. And even during the time where he did make Killing Him Softly and the other special that he did in uh, San Francisco when he was in the Chappelle show, did, uh, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock was out here having four or five specials already. I mean, Chris Rock, if anybody wants to say they're the king of comedy, especially in black America, that man, if anybody, and I'm not even talking about, of course, you know, the God, Eddie Murphy. We're talking about Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, Monique, your Bernie Macs, your, you know, your Steve Harvey's, D.L. Hughley, Cedric's, yada, 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 Godfrey, uh, Earthquake, all these guys, all right? That guy can say he's the king. He is, like, he basically ran stand-up for near a decade while Cat Williams and Kevin Hart was on the ascension. So a lot of people don't like Chris Rock. A lot of people in the black community, young Black Americans don't like Chris Rock, don't find him funny. But for some reason, in the late 90s and early 2000s, he was known as the best comedian in America. I don't understand why he never gets that shot as saying that he's the king of comedy. Because to your, to your credit, I get what you're saying about, okay, the kings of comedy stand up special as far as these four men being claimed as kings. Well, it only lived up 50%. Because D.L. Hughley's performance wasn't all that. And Steve Harvey as a host didn't get to showcase him as a stand-up special type of comedian. But it did showcase that he's a really good entertainer. And understand this. Monique can't say this nothing about this gender or gender black shit about her not getting any opportunities. Because they gave you a late night talk show. You've been on TV. You've won an Academy Award. Meanwhile, Steve Harvey had a show. He, you know, I mean, he had a couple TV shows. He's ho- he's, and now he's the hardest working man on television. Family Feud. He's hosting the Miss Universe events. He has one of the best morning shows in America. This man works hard. And I mean, and him being the image of black Americans in media while his daughter is just dating everybody from future to f- Michael B. Jordan and sh- God Michael B. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? Yeah, but that's besides the point. Though. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just don't understand. You're supposed to be the sexiest man alive, and you want to fuck around with future's ex. Never mind. I'm sorry. Who's the real king of the South? T.I. has been claiming it for years now. I no doubt. I mean, T.I. definitely can make that claim as a king in the South. I don't know about the king in the South. T.I., once he came out with that album called King, and he had that hit. Now, in my opinion, in rap music, 
you know, you can always have your bubblegum hit. You can always have that pop hit. But in my opinion, this is just my speculation, not only as a songwriter, just as a young black American who loves him some hip hop. When you have a rap song, like a legit rap song that hits Billboard pop charts, like when it's top 10 for no apparent reason, the same way Hard Knock Life was for Jay-Z, like that was a rap track. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's the any, you know, it's the any sample that, that made everybody go gaga. But th- that was a rap, you know what I mean? That was a street track. Yeah. And it went, it, 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 you know, it extrapolated into something great. And what you know about that was the song for T.I. that got him to another stratosphere, in my opinion. Yeah. And I ain't saying it's his biggest hit, but it's definitely the hit that took him from Atlanta to the world, in my opinion. Yeah. You know what I mean? So with that being said, when you do things like that, you can, you can, you know, go to the jeweler and be like, yo, can you make me a crown? Because it needs to be on top of my head. I'll give him that. Now, there's another king that I want to not talk about, but I want to give him some some points. He's another modern day king. And I think he's a king because in the time where Lil Wayne could have said he was the he was the best rapper alive. See, even with the Kings of Comedy thing, it's very subjective. Who at the time I may say that Lil Wayne was the best rapper alive only because he was the mother saying it and it wasn't nobody at that time better than him. So I'm like, sure. He's the best rapper alive. I'll take that. It's funny. It's a dope gimmick. But somebody took that heat from him and his name was Rick Ross. Rick mm-hmm. Ross deserves, deserves mm-hmm. to show to, to be showcased as a king in the South. Not the king, a king. Now, to answer this question, even though Jay Prince may be the king of street gangster Houston Scarface is the king of the South. He is the first to have T.I.'s He's the first to have T.I.'s success. He's the first to have Rick Ross success. And he did it in Houston. He did it in a state where basically there were there were not a mainstream rap. That, that place wasn't a mainstream rap location yet. You know, it was New York and it was a little bit of L.A. You know what I mean? South rap wasn't even hot for real. The Ghetto Boys, and just like you said a few weeks back about what makes a great group, you said that when that great group can develop a solo artist and that solo artist takes it to a whole nother level. Well, here you go. Early 90s, his name was Scarface, okay? Scarface, in my opinion, is the king of the South, man. He, he has done everything that your Ludacris, that your T.I.s, that your Rick Ross, that your Trick Daddies, that even your little John as the king of crunk in the South has already done. What say you? Um, yeah, so I agree with, with that 100% because that's exactly what I was going to say in terms of uh, Scarface being the um, undisputed king of the South, right? And if he wanted to lay claim to that title, then T.I. had better bow out gracefully. And this is <laughs> another instance of nobody's saying anything. And I think T.I. even alluded to this. Nobody's claiming the moniker King of the South, right? So it's just like, you know, there's an open seat to the throne and um, nobody's really saying that it's mine. Right. right? So when you get to that and then T.I. is like, well, I'm hot. I'm from the South. 
I'm going to just say I'm king. And nobody really challenged it because you had, if you think about it, right, for one, Ludacris should have been able to been, been able to say it, you know what I'm saying, before T.I. And people could have or would have had to respect it. Um, Lil Wayne could have said it, but I think Lil Wayne was more, like you said, pressed on being the best rapper alive. Lil Wayne wanted to be more accepted in New York for his lyricism than in the South. Uh, and then it was just kind of like nobody really gave a f- And then, like you said, when Rick Ross came through uh, and then he kind of just took over in terms of like his appeal, because Rick Ross is one of them rappers where it's like, yo, now everything he put out is kind of fire. He, he has evolved Jay-Z's style of flex rapping. He evolved that. Think about it. The, the, the best version of rap that people have bought into is, unfortunately, it's, but it's true, the Jiggy Rap. Jiggy Rap is the yeah. Jay-Z made that famous. And Rick Ross has evolved that. He has, you know, you was talking about the whole Kings of Comedy. And you was talking about, you know, like Dave Chappelle's style versus Kevin Hart's style. And it's funny because, you know, Kevin Hart technically is the bigger comedian. He's not the best, in my opinion, but he's the bigger comedian as far as, you know, getting to do all these movies and making mega, mega millions of dollars. Think about this in rap. You know, imagine what rap would have been if Jay-Z was not the person that had those eight straight summers of glory. What if it was Nas? Yeah. You know, like, we don't know what rap would look like if Nas was the one. If Nas didn't go through his mom dying and him just going in and out of, you know, whatever type of, you know, uh, mental fatigue he was going through that he talks about a lot in these Source magazines and Double XL magazines when he was on his comeback when he did Stillmatic. But imagine what that rap... I feel like if Nas... If Nas got to be the leader of rap in those, in those eight summers rather than Jay-Z... Kanye West probably would have wound up being a producer for him. Most Def and Talib Kweli would have way more albums out. Common Sense, not Common Sense, well, Common, you know, he used to be called Common Sense. Common would probably be looked at as a top 10 rapper of all time. Yeah. It'd be a different, it'd be a different look. Pharrell Munch might be the new Styles right. P. You know, because, listen, and, and, and they want to make that argument all they want with conscious rappers and you know, conscious rap and all of that. Shit. But I think rap and rap fans figure it out on their own. No, no, well, 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 not to cut you off. I'm not looking at it saying that it was going to be ran by conscious rappers. What I'm saying is that a diff- it's, a, it's a style that goes behind it. It's not about just saying all conscious rappers are going to be dope now. What I'm saying is that lyricism in a sense where it's not just marketed as jiggy rap was going to be on the forefront, which yeah. I'm just saying that could be a good thing. That's a, mm-hmm. I think that that's a content that determines that, you know what I'm saying? That there's nobody, there was no reason or nobody else that stepped in Nas's way of being the top rapper. No, not at all. Nas stepped in his own way. Nas didn't want to do it. Nas didn't want to be consistent. That's all. Right. So, so it's not a matter of, you know, what sound permeates, right? Or what resonates with people. It's about who makes the better music. Well, see, again, but, okay, go ahead. Uh, but, okay. So, again, the point, okay. 
I'm not going to use an analogy. Let me, let's stick with rap for a second based on what you said. Jay-Z made very good music. Sure. Yes, he did during those eight summers. But it's very subjective to say that he made the best. It's just that he was the most consistent on some business. One thing that almost beats out talent, almost, almost beats out talent is availability. If you're available for these eight years, I'm going to remember you because you was there for those eight years. If you were only there for two out of the eight years, you're a flash in the pan. You're Lynn Sanity. Lynn Sanity was dope for 40 games as a New York Knick. Now look at him. But that doesn't apply to Nas. No. Because Nas, Nas was consistent. Hold on, no, he was not. No, he wasn't. Hold on. The I, the I am and the Nash, that was like, yo, we can we can pull up this, we can pull up the, the you know, pull up his Wikipedia and find out when the when years that these albums were made. Absolutely. So look at when Illmatic came out and look at when Nostradamus and I am come out. This we put out an album every year and a half to two years. Throughout the 90s. Okay, here we go. I'm, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Glad you said that. We're going to look at it right now. So, okay. we're going to look at it. Let's, let's go to albums. Okay. Okay. So, Illmatic, 94. Right. It was written, 96. Right. I am, 99. Now, this is where it gets clever. Nostradamus... Was saying with not 99. So that was basically some months, you know, months in between. Still Maddie was 2001. That is one, two, three, four, five albums in a decade. Jay-Z had seven in 10 years. No, what are you talking about? Hold on, let's look. Okay, let's look at let's look at Jay-Z's. His first album came out in 96. His second album came out in 98. We're just talking about, okay, so I'm I'm basing it off. When you when you debut, not the year, he didn't come out in ninety one. We can't. His Jay Z didn't come out in ninety one. Reasonable doubt dropped in ninety five. Yeah, ninety five. All right, so reasonable doubt came out in ninety five. So go 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 ten years. Go so go ten years there. So how many? Wait. So let me wait. Let me. It's so his Wikipedia is so large and. So Nas put out. Hold on. So you're saying that Nas put out five albums in ten years. So from 94, okay, matter of fact, from 94 to 2004, let me do it like that. So he did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, seven albums in 10 years. Okay. No, that's, that's not bad, actually. That's consistent. That, yo, you know what? I will say that is, I wouldn't call it consistent. I would say it's, it's no, I mean, it's not consistent. It's consistent is like, 94, 96, 97, 98, 90. But this, is, this isn't bad. This isn't bad. Like, yo, like you know what? It, it's consistent. I'm going to say it's consistent. It, it, it's, it's what I said. It's an album every year and a half in, for, for 10 years. And You're not missing Nas uh-huh. in that conference, especially in back in the 90s and early 2000s where it's like, yo, you sat with a CD for months. All right. You know so. Let me show. So let me show. Let me show you something real fast. And, and, I, and I like what you said. All that was fine. So let's go with Jay Z, right? You ready for this? We're going. We're going to do ten years of Jay Z. You ready for this? Now I'm. I'm gonna say this just to let you know. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He had nine. He had nine out. So nine versus seven wasn't. That's not that big of a deal, honestly. But let's just go through it. Reasonable doubt. Ninety six in my lifetime. Volume one. Ninety seven. Volume two. Ninety eight. Volume three. Ninety nine. 
Rock Lot Familiar, 2000. Blueprint, 2001. Blueprint 2, 2003. Black Album, 2003. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, Blueprint 2, 2002. Black Album, 2003. Kingdom Come, 2006. Okay. So he was a tad more consistent. A tad. I mean, but, but, but to your credit, to your credit, you, you, you kind of shut me up on that. However, the point that I'm making is that little, that little nick, that little, that, that little insulin, inkling, that little period, that little dot of consistency that, that Jay-Z had a little bit that was over Nas, it basically, what I'm saying is that his style got to be the style for rap. Like, that got to be the forefront. His style. I'm, that's all I'm saying. His Because think about the Jay-Z right now. The Jay-Z right now, I'm not saying it's like more Nas. I'm just saying that he's definitely more, you know, he's he's open to showcase, uh, you know, black diplomacy. Let's say that. Hey, yo, what the f***? This is a poly right here. Do women love kings with or without I thinks women like men with yeah so T.I. on his podcast was making a statement that you know women tend to gravitate towards men who have other women in their midst like other women show attention to this man and they like him and they gravitate towards him and women tend to be attracted to that if you have a man who doesn't have any woman that's checking for him then women typically don't don't uh, want to give time either. <laughs> but <laughs> what they were saying, I mean, I guess T.I. was alluding to that if, if you're attracted to those type of men, then that's why you're going to end up dealing with men who aren't monogamous. And I think that's where the backlash is coming from because women are, are you know, coming out or people on social media are coming out saying like, oh, T.I. is speaking out of turn again on women and, you know, how they think and how they interact. From my experience and conversations and things that I have, I think, you know, what he was saying was true in terms of women might be attracted to the same quality. So you have multiple women who are attracted to one man for whatever reason. Um, what happens after that? I don't know. Like it's up for debate because again, I've heard a lot of women say like they like men who are mean to other women or who don't give other women any attention. And they, they don't like men who kind of are friendly with a lot of women. Um, I've been accused of it myself, in fact. Oh, have you? I'm too friendly with women. Oh, have you? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I appear to be a... Uh, um, I can, I can see that. No, you know what though? That's that's actually a fair assessment. Now, now, by definition, it's just an appearance. Sure. Is you appear? No, I can, I can see because the the things that you want to happen. I mean, you've been on this podcast for at least twenty three episodes talking about how you want to normalize cheating, how you think it's okay for women. Well, I mean, for women to be friends with their ex and not just like normal friends. We're talking about why can't they hold hands and eat and eat at the diner before she comes see you? You know, you say some weird things that are very socially awkward. And, and to your, now to your credit, you are looking to evolutionize or well, you're looking to basically yeah, re-evolutionize 
the 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 chemistry of men and women. But but the detriment to your theory is you're f-ing up the the you're f-ing up the attraction of the two. You're 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 convoluting what plutonic friendship really is and trying to ease that in with some type of intimacy. And, and, and you know, it, it shouldn't work like that. I get it, but it shouldn't work like that. You know, if you're in a friend zone, then, you know, either be that person's friend or, you know, talk to someone else. It's simple as that. There's too many people out here in the world to just, you know, hey, look, I, I, as a man that is caught up in the friend zone with a couple women myself, you know, I have to admit, you know, it's my job to at least counter that with other women. I need more options. Because guess what? When you have more options and you're not spending time with the people that are making you their friends and putting you in their friend zone, you know what they're going to start doing? Hitting you up. Yo, why you don't hit me up anymore? Oh, I've been busy. Busy doing what? I've been with Stephanie. What? Who the hell is Stephanie? Yeah. And now all of a sudden, she's trying to find some way to get that time that you've given to Stephanie, you know, back to her. Yeah. I, 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 women don't know how to be platonic. Oh, no. They, yes, they do. They do. Oh, see. They do. see it, oh, but only for their own benefit, though. But, but let, continue. Me, let me explain what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like women will dangle the platonic carrot, so to speak, right? And they'll say, listen, I don't whether they don't see you in that way or they just want to be friends or they're trying to figure things out or whatever, right? So boom, they set the t- they set the tone. Yeah. They put put us in the friend zone, quote unquote, right? Yeah. And it's the friend zone works when the man doesn't want to be in the friend zone. Because as long as I keep him at bay, but he's giving me everything that I need that makes me feel that. You know, I could rely on this person. I could talk to him about things. I could even share some intimate things with him with the exception of sex. I'm totally cool with that. But as soon as the man realizes that, hey, this is strictly platonic and I'm going to treat it accordingly. And I started I start acting with her the same way that I act with my homeboys who I'm friends with. Then she feels slighted in a way. Because the platonic aspect of the friendship doesn't carry the same benefits that that gray area does. Because she's a woman. She's not a man. See, this this is where it starts getting crazy because she don't technically want to be one of the fellas. She's using that as, you know, you know, as smoke for the other dude. Like, oh, I'm about to go hang out with my friends. This ain't about nothing serious. She over here about to find out another option. Or I mean, she's hanging out with some other options. You know, that's all that is. That's just, because think about it. One thing about women, I will, I will, you know, I, I have to, you know, give them disrespect because they're not, they're not getting disrespect as much as men. Men have the liberty to just roam the f- around out loud and no one really can say anything. When women do that, they can get easily labeled. So, they have to, you know, I ain't saying they have to, but they are coming up with these scenarios to make themselves seem, you know, I don't want to call them pure, but innocent, you know? Hey, I'm not just trying to talk to these other three dudes, but hey, I'm single. I don't see why I can't. So, you know, but they got to make up something for you to not catch an attitude because we get emotional when we find out that the women that we really like are seeing someone else. And it is what it is with that. But the difference between men and women with that is 
It doesn't make me chase you more because you're talking to someone else. It almost makes me not want to talk to you. And that's sad, but it's true. With women, women kind of want to chase you when you have some uh, someone else. I don't know what that's about. I think yeah. that's when you got to talk to a woman about that. But, yo, it's clear as day. Yo, my ex-girlfriend. my I ain't seen my ex-girlfriend in three years before we wound up being together again. But I'll never forget the day I told her, hey, oh, it's great to see you. What you been up to with yourself? That's what she asked me. And, you know, my dumb ass told her I had a girlfriend. That's because I'm 29 and stupid at the time. You know, it's like, yeah, I got a girl now and I work here and blah, blah, blah. And she came by my house later on to say, you know, I just wanted to stop by before I fly back to California. Just wanted to say hello to you. And guess what? I just wound up getting done up by her. Like, just just happy. Just she's like, yeah, so you want to break up with her now, right? I am about to call her right now, baby. F*** that. <laughs> I'm about to call her right now. I'm breaking this up, baby. I'm so sorry. What was I thinking? Can you be the king of your castle if you live in a separate castle from your queen? Yes, yes, yes. Think about it. As a man, if I have my name on this lease and I ever catch my wife having sex with someone else and my name is on the lease, she has to go. Everybody has to go except me because my name is on the lease. But here's the thing. No one wants to go through that hassle, right? Even if you're a woman and your name is on the lease and you caught your man doing the same thing. You don't want that hassle. Why not live in different places? It worked out for Martin and Gina for seven years on Fox 5, okay? I'm telling you, this can work for people, okay? So we found out that um, her name is Kaylee... Uh, or Kuko? I don't know how to pronounce her name. <laughs> Audio engineer, you're going to have to bleep out okay? I'm sorry for saying that. But C-U-C-C-O, she's Penny from The Big Bang Theory. So she's talking about how since, uh, you know, when, when COVID first started, how she had to move in with her husband. And I said, hold up, let me reread this. She had to move in with her husband. So she lives this type of marriage because, you know, of course, she's a traveling actress where they don't live together. They're a married couple, but they do not live together. And I'm, you know, of course, you know, most men, you're like, yo, that's great because you can go ahead and do what you do. And she could, you know, not me. It's not about that. It's, it's about the space that I need for me to be whatever I like and be as fly as I need to be. This isn't, this isn't even about sex. This is about a mental stability that I need on a day-to-day basis because realistically, the sex part, as much as I like, is not necessary every day for me, especially if I know it's not going to be great, that great anyway. Like I can, you know, you can give me a pork chop rather than some sometimes. I'm okay with that. You know what I'm saying? But the thing is, to have that mental space to be as creative and to, to basically, you know, take care of whatever hobbies you have on the side. And whenever you have that me time where you want to show intimacy and passion and love and, and responsibility towards your woman, you can just call her up and say, I'm about to take a flight to California to come see you. I think this is incredible. Why didn't my parents teach me this when I was young? What say you to all this? Um, you know, when when I talk about this uh, in various circles, right, people keep bringing up like, well, 
oh, you just want to do that so you can cheat or have other people. And I'm like, yo, if living together is designed to prevent cheating, it's not working. You know what I'm saying? It's not something that you, you know, want to hang your hat on because it's not doing whatever your intended purpose is. And if if that's the, the point, then it should be looked at in a different way. So I feel like living separately or even sleeping in separate rooms or, you know, just kind of creating some space actually would help the relationship because it gives you time to miss each other. It gives you time to appreciate each other and, you know, be able to set up certain situations where it's like, okay, we can spend time together, but then we're going to, you know, part ways at the end of the evening. Or you can stay the night at my house and I can stay the night at your house. And it just, like, it keeps you in, like, a perpetual dating mode. And I feel like that's the best part of the relationship is the dating part. And we lose sight of that when we start to move in with people. And then now it's like, yo, when I have a bad day and I come home from work, you're no matter how hard I try, you're going to get some of the brunt of that. You know what I'm saying? Or I'm going to have to hold it in and not be able to kind of unwind like I fully want to because I don't want to give you the shit that I got from outside. So there's, from what I can see, my perspective, there's nothing but benefit to having our own separate spaces. I even went so far as to say like, yo, let's buy houses in the same subdivision. We could be neighbors. Maybe not the house next door, but you know, within the same subdivision. So it's a quick drive or a quick walk to be able to see each other. And you know what I'm saying? Even when you involve kids in it, it's just a situation where it's, it can be worked through. And I feel like it would be better for relationships and people. We should start to try it. My wife def- definitely has to live in another county. I don't know about the same city block or, or zip code. I don't know about that. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I need to, I like, I, she needs to live. So I live in Essex County. So if, let's say, for instance, she lives in Edison, New Jersey. That's perfect. Because if she says, I'm on my way, I know I have at least 25 minutes to get my together. <laughs> hey, yo, what the f***? This is a pallet right here. 